Hey everyone, and welcome to Between the Creations. My name is Lorian Hook, and each week on the podcast, I and my guest discuss various aspects of theology, Christianity, and the Bible. I'm so glad you've decided to join us. Let's get started. Well, welcome to Between the Creations. Uh, This is another exciting episode that I'm really looking forward to jumping into with you guys. I have back with me my friend Michelle Kernut. She's done an episode with us before, and we're going to kind of expound upon what we talked about last time, and so I'm really excited. Welcome back. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. I'm really glad that you're here. For those of you who didn't have not yet listened to the previous episode I did with Michelle, let me encourage you just to hit pause and go back and listen to that episode because I think it'll give you some helpful context and information as we kind of jump in further into the ideas and topics that we, we talked about before. So today we're going to jump a little bit further into this idea of shame and how it's played into and out of our ideas of, of God and our ideas of ourselves and Christianity and our experience and culture and what does that even mean and all of those things. And so we're going to just kind of jumping off, we're going to start by using the narrative of the story of the prodigal son. And I actually don't really personally call it the story of the prodigal son anymore, much in thanks to uh, the work of Scott Erickson, who's a phenomenal artist and a great teacher. And if you don't follow him on Instagram, you should. Uh, He actually calls the story of the prodigal son, the house of belonging. Mm -hmm. And because it just, it flips the narrative on its head and it really changes what we emphasize about the narrative, which you and I are going to talk about a little bit. And I'm really excited to get in that conversation. So feel free, however you want to kind of jump off. I know you have a book, so I don't know if you want to recommend that to people kind of at the top and then let's go for it. Oh, absolutely. So we're going to talk a little bit about the role that honor and shame plays in scripture because it was um, written, scripture was written um, in the context of actually two honor and shame cultures. It's it's written in in the context of the um, Near East, but also Greco-Roman mm-hmm. times, which were also, b- both of those are very focused on honor and shame. And so, so much of the understanding and the richness of the words that we're reading need to kind of be viewed through a, a bit of a mindset shift. Um, and so when we're looking at scripture, we can actually see, uh, we, we basically or briefly talked about all three worldviews last time, the fear, power, the guilt, innocence, and the honor, shame culture. And um, all three of those can be seen in scripture. Mm -hmm. There are are verses that you can read that use wording that speaks to each of those. Honor and shame, however, you see a lot more, a lot more. And so, for instance, we would read something like in... um, Psalm 44, you, you hear this lament of Israel and they're crying out to God. And so they are experiencing shame. And so this is what it says. It says, you have made us the taunt of your neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long, my disgrace is before me. My shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. Um, and obviously that's Shame that is abject mm-hmm. shame that they are feeling in that moment that they're that um, he's writing about in that moment um, this lament and this cry. But then you see all of these stories throughout the Gospels of Jesus healing people. Mm-hmm. Um, such a beautiful um, 
picture of how he bestows honor on people by healing them from physical ailments, but also healing them from social ones at the same time. Um, He heals a woman who's been bleeding for years and years and years. Well, she has been considered unclean Mm -hmm. by, you know, if you, one of the hallmarks of honor and shame culture is purity. And when that purity is broken, you are seen as being defiled. And that is one of the things that you see is he not only is is healing her physically. He restores her to society. And he, this person of honor, comes in, lifts her up, presents her back to the people in an honored state. Um, and you see that with a lot of the miracles with the lepers. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same thing. He, he heals their physical ailments, but he restores them in the sight of the community. Yeah. And um, so a lot, of, a lot of those miracle stories, you know, the demon-possessed and, and the way he interacts with the Gentiles and bringing them in to the fold are very much focused on honoring. Mm -hmm. And so, but one of the ones we're going to talk about today, I think is the story of what you call the, the house of belonging. belonging. Yeah. And that's again, not not my word, Scott Erickson, but I I think it it helps us because part of it being that we've, if you grew up in the church, you've heard the story, gosh, I don't know how many times. And so even just being able to title it something different Mm -hmm. kind of jars loose some cobwebs maybe. Yeah. And just offers a slightly different perspective of, of instead calling it, the house of belonging rather than calling it the prodigal son um, because yeah. it, it flips the the it's hinge pin pretty into, radical yeah. rewrite yes. right there with that <laughs> title i mean it just completely changes everything mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of a beautiful thing. I've actually, if you are interested in studying this, I will tell you um, Jason Georges, his last name is G-E-O-R-G-E-S. And he um, he's actually probably one of the, I would say, preeminent people writing on Honor Shame. He has a, a website that's www.honorshame.com. And then he also has a book that's ministering in Honor Shame Cultures. Mm-hmm. He also has one called The 3D Gospel that just, all both of these, all of these speak to this idea of honor shame um and there's a lot of there's several great people out there that are doing this work jackson Wu um is doing a lot of work mark baker um but it's kind of something that people are starting to pay attention to and draw more attention to and so in his book though he goes through kind of like a rewrite of the prodigal son Mm -hmm. story and talks about what it would look like from that lens like if i'm looking at it through an honor shame lens um, it honestly really does become more fitting to call it, yeah. you know, to, for it to be about belonging. And so, um, but if we're going to look at it, so in that story, the first thing that you see happen is this son goes to his father and the, he asks for his inheritance. Dishonor. Dishonor. <laughs> Dishonor on the family. I mean, full on. Like, you like, do not do that. Like, Mulan. Straight, yes. straight Honestly, away. Yes, like. <laughs> very much so. Um, Dishonor at all of you. And so he, um, that is like the biggest no-no. You never do that. You never ask for your inheritance. Then he takes it to another country, goes off to the land of the Gentiles, mm-hmm. okay, squanders it in the land of the Gentiles, sells it off, okay, which is a huge no-no. Yeah. You do not do that. And in fact, he talks about um, in his book how it was the custom if you squandered or sold off your land and lost it in the land of the Gentiles, if you came back, you were excommunicated from the community for it. Which is a huge issue. Like we we liked, we read the story and we're like, oh, he just went down the road and, you know, did had some- Had a party. Had parties and, and, and yes. know, maybe did some bad things. Yeah. But we don't we don't read that into the narrative yes. the way we see it. Yes. And it's such an important part. The land is important. Yes. It's a big deal. And so when he loses that, um, he realizes, like, 
oh my goodness, like I have nothing. And, and then this famine hits and we see him from having nothing go and work and, and is like hanging out with the pigs. Yeah, debases himself to, to So survive. again, if you're looking at that culture, pigs, mm-hmm. literally the worst, yeah. um, uh, the most disgraceful, unclean, filthy animal that you could be associated with. Okay, and so he's doing that. And then he's like, I... Okay, I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna go back to my father. Wow, I've done everything wrong. Mm-hmm. And so he decides to come back, but he is prepared to just offer himself to his dad and just to be like, I will, you know, basically I will place myself under you and you know, I will do whatever you want me to do. And he comes back home. And so this is where we see another really strange honor shame flip is the father. Mm-hmm. And the father's reaction is not normal. Um and in a lot of a Western context, we might be like, oh, well, we'd be delighted to have our kid come back, you know, when yeah. they've been. But in that context, first of all, he runs mm-hmm. to his son. That is not something that you would do as an elder in a family. You you don't ever do that. You wait for people to come to mm-hmm. you as a, like, because you are honored, because you are revered, because of your age, there is a yeah. deference given to you. And so you do not put yourself out there, especially not in public, yeah. um, running down the road to Towards someone the who's, disgraced person yeah. who has taken all your money and sold off your land, your ancestral land, mm-hmm. you know, and um, so he's... He's running to his disgraced son, welcoming him in. And so this is kind of where you see that picture of him. We, we talked briefly about how the only way you can be restored in an honor-shame culture is for a person of higher honor than you, or a person who is in a higher position brings you back in mm-hmm. and decides to restore your honor to you publicly, yeah. which is what his dad is so willing to do. And mm-hmm. so his dad runs after his son, hugs him, puts, you know, puts his robe around him and says, we're going to have a party. Let's like all of the best, all of the best food. Uh, we're going to have the biggest, we're gonna ev- invite everybody, you know, everybody's going to come. And so he invites everybody in. Well, then son number two comes into the picture mm-hmm. or I guess son number one is the oldest son. And the oldest son um, is actually, st- he, he um, jumps into this honor shame by immediately doing something shameful mm. and by just going after his dad. Yeah. Dad. Not respectfully. The not respectful, yeah. not using, you know, any titles or deference or, you know, coming to him in any kind of respect, but just... What are you doing? Why are you throwing him a party? Why aren't you throwing me a party? I've been the good son this whole time. Yeah, he's towing the off. line of of what it's supposed to be like, like almost. I and followed all the rules. Okay, so you should be doing this. And and again, so in public, because he's doing this out in front of other people, okay, disgr- bringing disgrace on his dad. So his dad has now been disgraced by both of his sons mm. publicly. Both of them have said things that are terrible and done things that are terrible big cultural no-nos huge (laughs) and so and yet his father's response is everything that i have is yours like come to the party Mm -hmm. come and and another element of honor and shame culture is hospitality um time around the table is restoration time around the table is a spreading out of community and a welcoming in Mm -hmm. um a familial thing yeah and so he's inviting his son to the table and his son's like i'm not going like, I'm not going to this party. No way. 
and turning down mm. the hospitality yeah. at this huge party where everybody's inviting his Very own public. son publicly is like, I'm not going to go. And shames his dad again. And his dad's like, everything that I have is yours. And um, gosh, such, such a such a beautiful picture because Jesus is telling the story to Pharisees, mm-hmm. okay? And so he, he's essentially, he's, he's, he doesn't finish the story, but it's almost like an open-ended, now what? I'm welcoming you in. Yeah. Like, come to the table. Come to the table with all of these people. Mm-hmm. And I, I want you to be part of this time. Like, become part of, of this family. Yeah. Become part of this community. I welcome you in. Will you be willing to bear shame in order to welcome and restore honor to all? Oops, things. <laughs> Hitting the mic. Um, it's to all, all of these people. I'm getting excited with all my hand <laughs> gestures. And so um, it's just such a, like, it's a completely different story yeah. when you look at it through this lens and go, wow, he's inviting them in and he's not going after them. He's mm-hmm. just saying, you're welcome here too. Like, yeah. come join. Yeah. Come join, be a part of this family. Come belong here. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, what will you do? Yeah. And I think that if you grew up in the church, and it, even if you didn't, but if you if you know anything about Christianity and stuff like that, that story seems to, at least in the people that I talk to, it hits, it hits, there's a multiplicity of ways, but two primarily, two primary ways. One group thinks, oh my gosh, this story is so beautiful. Like for mm-hmm. all the reasons you just said, um, or even just because like the sun is welcomed back in the first place. So that's, right. that's, that alone is beautiful enough to just, ha- to just carry the story. Right. But a lot of it is the father's disposition and all the things, and it's just beautiful. So that's one camp is like, I just, I take it at face value. It's great. Mm-hmm. And the other camp actually comes at it from a little bit of a, a frustrated perspective, thinking like, well, mm. why do I even have to be restored? Like, what? I'm, I'm not a terrible person. Or yeah. and you and I kind of, bef- even before we started recording this episode, talked a little bit about how uh, people in, in my generation, so millennials that I talk to, and even people not in, in my generation, have this understanding this that we've we've been told for so long that you know just this idea of you're a sinner and there's nothing good you can do and you're a terrible person um unless you have the spirit like you're you're evil and all these things and yeah of course sure like okay i you know if, if we're gonna take all the scriptures out to their fullest possible extent okay let's i'll accept that for a second here but how do we restore that conversation with, with mm. people who are coming from that? And I think part of it has to do with how we understand just honor, honor, shame type, yeah. type situation, because we hear the word shame, especially people who are in my generation and, and younger who, again, I know we talked about Brene Brown and stuff in another episode, but um, who are hearing this word shame more and more often right. and possibly are only hearing it uh, and have only up until now heard it in the context of the church. Right. And in the context of religion and of Christianity, let me just say yeah. to those people, because this is how I've had to reframe it and understand it in my own mind, is that me being accepted by God and, and, and God coming after me and God in, in, a, in, a, in a loving way, not in a vindictive way, right. not in, right, a, right. in, in a beautiful, yeah. soothing, healthy, welcoming yes. me into this house of belonging mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. is not primarily... In a lot of ways. Obviously, yeah, we can talk about sin. We can talk about how, how Jesus has dealt with that and has restored yeah. all things and is holding all things together in himself. But a lot of it is actually about, let me restore you to your original vocation of <laughs> being image bearers, of mm-hmm. being people who are called to tend the world and take care of things in the world and move towards restorative justice in the world and move towards 
you know, creating communities of yeah. love and of genuine um, just affection and care for others in the world. So if if you bought if your initial reaction is to balk at some of, of those types of words, maybe maybe yeah. just a paradigm shift of thinking about it as, hey, a lot of what's actually happening in the Christian life and in the Christian world and, and as I open myself up more and more to the possibility of of God in this way is that I'm being restored. I'm being welcomed into belonging mm-hmm. in what my original vocation as a human being yeah. should be. And even I would say, I would take that even a step further and say being restored and more. Mm. Because when he puts his own honor onto you, bears your shame and yeah. then put, takes his honor and puts it onto you, that's even that's even higher. Yeah. That's even beyond where you originally started, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Yeah. Um to think about. And so, yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it, it, again, it changes the narrative much more to now you have a place to belong. Mm-hmm. You have a place to call home. Mm-hmm. You have a place of community. You have a place right. of relationship and formation that right. also doesn't just sit there, right. but that then invites you out into the world to do things. So it's not right. just this cocoon of, oh, I'm now in the, the house of belonging. The house of belonging just prepares you to then go out and do God's work right, in the world. Right. And so, but it's much more about you belonging and you being welcomed and you being called mm-hmm. and you being restored than it is about you being a terrible person with all of these, you know, things that you yeah. can't fix on your own because you don't have to because you're all, you're welcomed and you belong and you belong regardless of those things. And those things will get worked out and they'll be healed and they'll be, um, restored and all mm-hmm. those things that, that happen once you're in this healthy healing right. you know, place where, where God is tending to you in that way. Uh, and I think that that's a really important paradigm shift. For sure. Um, and I'll say, to add into that, another thing to consider when you are, when you are talking with somebody who is from a predominantly honor-shame culture, also to be able to understand that that community element is also a reason why many people who are not believers from honor-shame cultures have a hard time becoming believers mm. is because you are asking them to st- willingly step out of a community yeah. that has always been what they've known, whether it's comfortable or whether it's just what they've known their whole life. Um, you're asking them to step out of that and to risk that community mm-hmm. to, to join another community. Yeah. And so when, when you are talking to somebody who is from a culture and they are just weighing that, you know, again, in, a lot of the, at least the way I, I remember growing up, a lot of that, the Western framework for evangelism was very much like, I just remember going and like knocking on people's doors yeah. and just being like, <laughs> Hey, I'm, let me print for, you know, present the, the plan of salvation. Yeah, here's the Roman road for you. <laughs> do you, do you want to accept Christ now? You know? And when you're in a relationship with somebody who is from a culture that is an honor, shame based one, we get frustrated, I think as a, as a, maybe that, that, when that Western mindset, like when people don't make that decision quickly yeah, and we cannot take that, um, we, we cannot take that, th- sorry, they're not taking it lightly. Mm-hmm. We'll just say that they are not taking it lightly. If they are thinking through that and, and think th- they're thinking about the cost, yeah. the cost is great. The cost could be huge. Mm-hmm. It could be everything. Yeah. Literally, it could be all their family. It could be all of their friends and it could be an uh, accusation of bringing shame Mm -hmm. onto their whole family and their community. So they have to know that the community that they're stepping into Mm -hmm. is for real. And I would say that even, even people who don't come from an honor shame culture need to know that the community, this house of belonging, if I, again, barring Scott's words, (laughs) is, is worth it. 
right. and is solid right. and, is, and is a place that regardless of what baggage you're bringing in with you yeah. will be a place that you can be known and loved for who you actually are. Right. And I think that we, we forget that a lot of times. Um, and we, we've, <laughs> goodness gracious, we know that, that as Christians we've often missed, missed that and haven't handled right. that well um, when dealing with people who are different than us or right. people who have different experiences than us and whatever. Um, so let's, on that note, Let's, it's going to sound like I'm switching gears big time, but I'm not entirely. Let's talk about millennials leaving the church. Okay. And let's talk about all of that and just um, those kind of experiences. I know that, so you're not technically a millennial. Is that? I'm not. Okay. I didn't think so. By like. Very, One year, yeah, two years, a slim three margin, years, a slim margin, yeah, by a couple years, exactly. Now. So Michelle's a little bit older than I'm I am, a Gen Xer. so she's just right on the edge of, yes. of those. <laughs> I'm kind of smack dab in a kind of in a way, I guess, uh, millennial, uh, but don't really identify as such in many ways. <laughs> I kind of get mad at millennials sometimes, such a mixed bag. but you know, there's yeah, there's great aspects there for sure. But I think, and again. There's nothing new under the sun in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I think that that people who are perhaps in some older generations are looking at millennials and, and just kind of like bemoaning and just, you know, weeping over us and like, oh, my gosh, they're leaving the church at an exponential yeah. rate. Yeah. And I'm just going to say this. And and uh, I'm taking this. I'm, I'm just quoting a lot of people on today's podcast. <laughs> people that I think you should go listen to. Jonathan Martin. Uh, go follow him on Instagram. Go follow him on, on Twitter. He has talked about how, and this isn't really what we're talking about between Michelle and I here, but I think it's kind of a good precursor to get us into it. He's talked about how a lot of millennials are leaving the faith mm-hmm. because the faith that they've been handed is not worth staying in. Mm-hmm. It's not worth, because mm-hmm. it's not the house of belonging. It's mm-hmm. not this this place like that. Um, and so anyways, and he, he goes into a lot more detail with a lot more grit. And But I encourage you to go look that up. Um, but I think that talking about millennials, talking about millennials leaving the church, talking even about millennials just needing to deconstruct some things and maybe even stay in the church um, can be sticky. It can be a yeah. really, it's a yeah. really interesting topic. And as a millennial, it's very near and into my heart because I myself have gone through some interesting deconstructions. My friends have. I've had friends leave the faith. I've had friends, mm-hmm. you know, think about leaving the faith. Um, so what, I know you came with some stuff that, that you wanted to talk about. What kind of experiences or, th- or thoughts are, are you kind of wanting to explore? Well, so it's it was interesting. Uh, a few years ago, I was actually approached by um, the woman that actually discipled me growing up. She was um, really just just a very someone who's very near and dear to my heart. That was in our church growing up, and she um, a few years ago said, "Hey, Michelle, I really want you to take the survey." And I was like, "Okay, what's it for?" And she's like, "It's a survey for." people who grew up on the church and it's for, I think it was between the ages of, oh gosh, I can't remember, like 25 and 40 or something like that. And she's like, it's trying to figure out why, why people around your age are leaving the church. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. This is a real survey. (laughs) Yes. So it was somebody, um, and, and so, so he actually, I can tell you, he, he wrote this book called Why They Stay, Steve Parr. And then I want to say that there's another person who's an author too, and I can't remember, but he wrote this book called Why They Stay. And it was about why, people my age and a little bit younger and a little bit older stay in the church and Mm -hmm. then why they leave. And so that was the first time I started really thinking about it. Like there really is a lot, you know, you see a lot of these studies coming out by um, Barna and Kinnaman Mm -hmm. where they're talking about like, this is a major issue. They are leaving the church and they're not usually joining other religions. They are re, re, um, 
christening themselves. Yeah. That's not the right word <laughs> at all. I feel like they would reject no, that term. Probably not. They wouldn't like that word. No, but they are They're becoming, rebranding themselves. They're rebranding themselves as the nuns. <laughs> yep, the nuns. They're, they're no religion. And by nuns, we don't mean Catholic sisters. We mean N-O-N-E. Oh, yeah, N-O-N-E, nuns. Yeah, sorry about that, yes. It's confusing For the first sure. time you go through I'm that all conversation. all kinds of confusing in this moment. But um, anyway, so there there is a been a major exodus mm-hmm. of millennials from the church. Yeah. And what's, I think, important to know is that just because we've talked about honor-shame culture like it's a big thing in other cultures, there are a lot of subcultures of it in the U.S. Yes. And so um, just to name a few, like the military is a subculture of honor-and-shame culture. Um, if you look at sports teams— yeah. It's a subculture. If you look at rural communities where everybody knows everybody and reputation is everything, mm-hmm. you know, that's a subculture. Gangs are a subculture. Respect is everything. Reputation is everything. Yeah. Um, and then junior high, high school, <laughs> peer pressure. Yeah. That is very much honor and shame. Um, and then um, I would venture to say even... Um, not even social media right now. Oh yeah. Social media in general is a huge honor and shame. I mean, it's, it's, it's all about that. Yeah. And, and then also to, um, the church. Yes. Is, is a, is a major, um, has got a major cult culture of, of honor and shame. And there's a lot of, you know, um, Rules for behavior. Some of them do come from the Bible, but then there's lots of churches where there's unwritten rules mm-hmm. for behavior, how you're supposed to maybe dress, how you're supposed to, um, what music you should, you know, listen to or not listen yeah. to, um, what, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of, um, I remember um, when I was doing campus ministry, um, one of my students looked in the back of my car and saw that I had a Harry Potter book. <laughs> And they were like, what are you doing with that in your car? You should hide that. <laughs> like, burn and I was it. like, what? <laughs> and so, and I know people have mixed mixed opinions about Harry Potter. But anyway, they, <laughs> she was like, you should not let anybody in this campus ministry see that you have that. I was like, okay, I will not do that. I will hide it. And so I just remember it being like. <laughs> you were a closet um, Harry Potter reader. I was. A, I was. Secretive. And so, um, so I just remember that being a thing where I was like, oh, okay. So here, that's not. That's not. That's yeah, that's not, not cool. It's not. That's not, not kosher. Good. Yeah. Um. And so, and obviously, there's legitimate things that you should in the church. Sure. As far as scripture, there are legitimate ways to behave or act or whatever. But it can become um, more of this going from like a shame from wrongdoing to like I'm not good enough mm-hmm. and I need to work harder. Yep. And I need to do more things in order to make sure that not only does God really love me and that I'm doing enough for him. So it's very workspace, but it's sneaky workspace because yes. you don't, you would never say you were a workspace Christian, right? but in, but in your head, you're like, I can, I will also look better to the people around me who are believers yep. the more that I do. Yes. Which breeds this toxic element of fear of being honest and fear yeah. of asking questions and fear of, yeah. and fear of being willing to say, I just don't know if I believe that today. Like I'm yeah. having some doubts. Can you yeah. work through this with me? Right. And so we stifle that yeah. before we even let it get out mm-hmm. because we're ashamed of having people question what we believe or they're ashamed of asking questions yeah. and vice versa. And it's really harmful. 
doubt is scary to people, I think. And um, a lot of people, I would say, don't know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's been hard in the church. And here's where I'll, I'll just come out and say a lot of times I would say the church struggles with doubt because a lot of people don't always know answers. Yes. And so, and, and they feel like they have to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And if, if I don't know all the answers, well then it's just easier to just be like, you shouldn't be doubting. Yeah. You shouldn't be questioning because to be honest, there is so much, and and I'm I, I will say that I have struggled with the same thing of like, do I know what I believe? Yeah. Why do I believe what I believe? Um. What is you know what is the gosh the history behind what I believe? Which part of the reason I love church history, and um. But just knowing that a lot of people in the church may not. Yep. Or haven't sat down to explore it. It's yeah. just been passed on. And so when people ask questions or when people have doubt, it either intimidates those right. people or it makes <laughs> you feel like there's this either-or dichotomy that right. has to exist right. at all times. And if we can't create places to hold questions and right. to hold people's doubt gently right. and carefully yeah. and with just tenderness, yeah. people, especially millennials, they're out of here yeah. because they have friends elsewhere that will hold their questions with gentleness and tenderness and an ability just to sit and listen without trying to fix the problem yeah. initially or without trying to convince you of something right off the bat for fear of you leaving or whatever. Well, and this is part of the reason I didn't want to become a high school teacher at a Christian school. But then you did. But then I did. Hey, remember because, that time that you did? <laughs> yeah. But then I did because the Lord was like, this is what you're doing. But, um, I, but I was petrified of being a high school Bible teacher because I was like, I have to have all the answers, yeah. all of them. And I you need know to they're going to ask all. some And they're going to ask me hard questions because they're high schoolers. And so I just remember being terrified and going in and being like, what do I do if they ask me something I don't know? Do I just make something up? Maybe I'll just make <laughs> something up. And literally, I think there were a couple of times I thought, I just need to make something up right now. Yep. Um, eventually, uh, thankfully... <laughs> I learned to become okay with the fact, like, questions are good. Yes. Questions are healthy. They help us work through things. And also, they're good for me. Mm -hmm. You know, they're good for me as the teacher. They're good for the student as the student. And to be able to work through that together and to be able to say, you know what? Let's explore that. Let's look into that. Like, let's study that. Mm -hmm. And not to be afraid to say, I don't actually know yeah. the answer to that. That's a really good question mm -hmm. because the, God is a, I mean, one of the things that makes him God is that he is a mystery. Yeah. And there's so much that we can't understand about him. And I think that's one of the things that, not one of, I mean, it separates us from him. Mm. And so um, the fact that there are doubts and questions should be natural. Yeah. It should be something that in the church we, we, are, we are willing to wrestle with that. We're willing to have that tension. Yes. You gotta, living in the tension is really hard. It is. But I, I've become it more is. and more less interested with people who uh, kind of present themselves as knowing all the answers and present themselves yeah. as just <clears throat> being able to give explanation for every nth yeah. degree about the character and person of, of the divine and, and how God works and the Trinity and all these crazy things. And I'm like, you're a little too sure. Like, and I know that that's <laughs> like, eh, there's certain topics and things where I'm like, you're a little too sure about that. Or you, your answer came a little too like, that was a big question and you answered it in like in a sentence and left so much out there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I've become much more comfortable as I've gotten older with, with, with the response being, I don't know, let's find out together. Or 
of it being something where I'm where where I'm willing to say, you know, here's here's where I'm at right now. Like right. this is something that I'm still growing in and I'm still yeah. learning in. And what I think about that today <laughs> is very different than what I thought about that two years ago. Yeah. And being willing to have our opinions changed, our, our perspectives kind of questioned, mm-hmm. it's actually really healthy. Um, but again, coming back to your point, a lot of people in the church are intimidated by it. Yeah. And so they either stifle the questions or they don't let the questions happen or they aren't, if they're not willing to say, I don't know, Yeah. then it, then, then people are like, well, I'm out of here. And it's not because yeah. you said, I don't know. It's because you either weren't willing to explore it with them mm-hmm. further or you didn't continue a dialogue. Right. And I think that that the is... The dialogue is, is important. Yes. It's very important, the being willing to have that conversation. And, um, you know, it's just, it's natural to just want to be sure when you're talking mm-hmm. about something as big as divinity. Yeah. And you're talking about something that impact, impacts all of your life yeah. and the afterlife. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's why people like the that comfort of speaking with surety. Absolutely, and there's yeah. And there are things that we can speak about with surety. But then there's also other things mm. where I think, you know, Wow, we need to. It's going to take some time to unpack all of this, yeah. and um, and not to be afraid to go after it. Mm-hmm. Not to be because God is big enough to handle the questions. Yes, He is big enough to handle your doubts. He is big enough um, to handle any of the thoughts in your head or the things that you say to Him. He can handle it. Yeah. And so I, I, I think, um, I think He He welcomes the people who who have questions and doubts and you know, um, anyway. Yeah. So as a teacher who taught a lot of millennials just over your your time, uh, what do you think are some ways, obviously saying, I don't know is, is a great starting point. It is. If you don't know, because then it's honest. And and a lot of times people are just looking for some honesty. Right. Um, but what people can tell when you're not being honest. Exactly. (laughs) They just know they, they can tell. Um, so what are some other things that you've noticed about millennials leaving the church or, or, just all of that, that whole topic, which I know is massive. Well, one of the things related to that is that question, uh, that millennials are very um, focused on authenticity. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. They want to make sure that people are being real with them yep. and that they're being real and that just you're laying out your cards on the table. And if you're not, <coughs> excuse me, if you're not, um, then that's frustrating and mm. they'll walk away from it yeah. because they can tell if you're being fake. Yeah. Um, they can tell if you think they're a project. They can tell, I mean, most people can, but the millennial generation is just very, very focused on, I need to know that you are being real with me right now. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I think that's really hard depending on the type of church that they've grown up. And, and hear me in this because there's so much, there are so many churches that are doing this well. Sure, yeah. There are so many churches that are doing this well. And, but then there's just so many churches that struggle with this. And so when we're talking about the church in general, like they're just we just know that there is a problem that millennials are leaving, and we're mm-hmm. trying to figure out what's the reason. Yeah. And so um, I think one of the things that they see is that um, – the, the doubting is not welcomed, that we may not always come across as authentic mm-hmm. and real, like with what's going on and with struggles, with vulnerabilities, and not just being vulnerable for the sake of laying out all of our sins and then just being like, oh, well, God loves me right. the way I am, but to be able to be vulnerable with where we're at and then to just be able to say, the Lord is walking with me in this, like I am trusting in him and I am 
trying to, you know, keep walking forward and growing and maturing discipleship, Mm -hmm. important. Um, But um, being able to acknowledge, like, I do not have it all together. Yeah. And um, and then that is something I can speak to personally, because my whole life I have really felt like I just need to, people just need to think I've got it together. Mm. I like to appear like I know what I'm talking about. I like to appear that I'm smart. I like people to think that I can handle things. Yeah. And so um, to be able, you know, lately to be able to say like, I do not have it all together. Yeah. Oh my goodness, there's so many things in me that are broken. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, and to be able to, and God just having to keep revealing that to me, but but also how he says, but Michelle, that's not the end. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, there's brokenness, but um, but there is light and there is hope and um, just keep doing today what you need to be doing. And yeah. so um, I think another thing with with millennials where they struggle is they believe that the church is not inclusive and that yeah. it doesn't, doesn't love people unless they look They're like exactly them. like them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and again, if you talk to most people in the church, they'd be mortified, you know, to, to think that a generation might think that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I, I think that there's an element of, well, if they, if they don't say the right things, if they don't dress a certain mm-hmm. way, or if they don't, um, if they don't, um, have all the exact same beliefs on everything. If they're not from um, such and such a political party, Mm -hmm. if they're not, um, it's very like, you have to kind of, like there's boxes. Yeah. If they don't check all the boxes, then, then, um, and some boxes are more important than others. True. (laughs) Yes. And so, and it can come across to a millennial as, you um, just need me to be just like you. Yeah. And you need me to um, to um, say all the right things mm-hmm. and to do these things. And um, I have struggles. I yeah. have doubts. I have questions. Yeah. You know, I want to be in a place where I can wrestle with these, mm-hmm. but is this a safe place? Yeah. Is this a place to do that? Is this really the house of belonging? I think that is like <clears throat> what we keep coming back to yeah. is, is this Christian community really at the end of the day, yeah. a house of belonging mm-hmm. for, for me, for my friends, for people yeah. that I would want to welcome into this? Are right. they, am I right. going to find a place where I belong? Are yeah. they going to find a place where I can ask questions, yeah. where I can grow, where I can, you know, ch- go through change and, and learn things and experience what the Spirit is doing here? And yeah. I think it all comes back to, do I really buy into the idea that this expression of the Christian community that I'm a part of mm-hmm. or wanting to be a part of or, or wanting or trying to remain in, yeah. is it really a place where, yeah. where reconciliation is happening, where all of those things are happening? And if it's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's really hard for people of my generation to, to stay. And also, will they walk with me through the hard things? Mm-hmm. And the hard things could be, temptations I'm facing, like sin that I'm struggling with. Like, is this a place where I can do that? Or do I need to keep that hidden? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and when you're a generation that's longing for authenticity, but feels like you can't necessarily, because you don't know if you might be, um, shamed in a way because of 
particular sins yeah. specifically, um, then it's really hard to feel like to trust. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really hard to trust. And so uh, when you can find a, a church where, you know, you've got a group of believers in a, a community, like I'm really blessed that I have a community that I feel like, you know, my husband and I at our church where we feel like we can do life with people mm-hmm. and we can talk about hard things yeah. and struggles and frustrations and, um, and, and there's always like growth as a community that can happen. But I, if you can't find that mm-hmm. place, it's really hard to want to stay. Yeah. You know, when and it takes, like, and it takes people already embedded in that community being vulnerable, being honest. Mm-hmm. Being, it does. If we only yes. expect other people to be the first one to be the first to do ones, it to be yes. to, to share doubts sure. to share struggles to, sh- sure. to share whatever is vulnerable and, and tender in them yeah then we are missing out on a chance to grow personally right. we're missing out on a chance to experience the love of a community and the love of, of what christ is doing mm-hmm. in that place but we, we cannot only ever look to other people to take the first step yeah especially if we're hoping to invite new people into that community right we can't expect someone new mm-hmm. millennialism is what we're talking about now we can't expect a millennial to walk through our door and just lay it all out there. Right. Maybe they will. Maybe, maybe they would. I don't know. But if we're not going to meet them in that and meet mm-hmm. them in the vulnerability and meet them in the questions and meet them in, in yeah. those tender places, then it becomes really hard for people in my generation to want to stay. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, for the most part, I can genuinely go and find a community like that mm-hmm. somewhere else. The only difference you have is that you talk about Jesus unless it is the community itself is fueled by the power of the spirit and is fueled by this re-engagement with what God is calling us to do in the world Mm -hmm. beyond just, oh, we're going to read the Bible and have a little prayer group. If it's not fueling you out in the world to change and to impact those that you come in contact with. And and, and I don't just mean like, oh, I'm going to share the gospel with everyone I meet. I mean like, how does it inform your understanding of social justice? How does it inform your understanding of... um, just how you act in the world and the things that are important to you, how you spend your time, where your you spend your money. Exactly. Yeah, um, millennials are really big on where you spend your time, where you spend your money, mm-hmm. what you advocate for. Those types of things are huge. Mm-hmm. And so if if your Christian community that, that millennial is thinking about coming into or leaving, if they don't see a whole lot of action outside of your Wednesday night Bible study, yeah. they're going to be less inclined to want to you know, pull up a chair and, and, right. and, you know, put down roots there. Um, and I think that that's also really important to remember is like for all of us across the board, I don't care what generation you're from. Christianity is not me reading my Bible and having a quiet time every day and going to a Bible study once a week. Christianity is, is m- much more concerned with how I'm spiritually formed and how that thing gets played out in the world. Mm-hmm. As, as an image bearer of God, I mean, read Genesis 1 through 2. Like, this is the whole calling of, of humanity is to be God's image bearers in the world and to work for the good of, of the entire creation. Um, and so that's what we're moving back towards. That's mm-hmm. what we're trying to restore in a lot of ways. And that's what God has come to restore through Jesus. Um, and so I think that that is really important, again, for millennials to see is just sure. what is the outworking of your faith mm-hmm. um, actually look like? Is it a lot of talk or is it actually impacting people beyond um, just this group of people? Right. You know, 
Um, but again, I think it really does come back to that, just this idea of, of the house of belonging and mm. the, the story of the prodigal son and, and the fact that the father is bestowing honor just right and left. Like he's, yeah. the father's just bestowing honor yes, on everyone. And he he's is. saying, come, come in, come in, you know? And I think that we, if we could latch onto that aspect of the narrative, mm-hmm. um, I think it'd be really formative for a lot of our communities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, trying to think if I want to go into one more thing or how many how much time we have you got I don't know like two three three four mi- five more minutes ish oh, I don't know if we could do that <laughs> maybe I won't do that <laughs> um it's a big topic it is it is a big topic and so um yeah I was gonna bust up some church history but that might uh, go take take go for it why not well because one other thing I would say that um I would say that is one thing that millennials are looking for or not looking for. We we have a bit of a Gnosticism. Okay, I'm going to bring up Gnosticism. Go for it. So it's one of my things. Gnosticism is this idea that um, it's a it's an age-old heresy mm-hmm. that has popped up um, throughout time the church. Time and time again. <laughs> yep, time and time again. And it's actually mentioned in Scripture. You see Paul talk about it. You see John talk about it. And um, just this idea that... Um, the idea that anything spiritual is good, um, anything that's physical or of the earth or matter or whatever is bad. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of, there's a whole lot more to it. Those are elements of it that I'm looking at at this moment. But yeah. there's a lot more elements to it that talk about it. It can get a lot more nuanced. Yes, a lot more nuanced. But if you're looking at those elements, this this idea that um, that anything that is in the church is good. Mm-hmm. Things that are outside of the church, well, we have to be more, I don't know, they may, yeah. they may be just bad. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people are not so black and white about that. But then there's also, for instance, if you're listening to a speaker, I, I remember I was, I was talking about an author I was reading a few years ago, a, a Christian author. And I was talking to a friend and was just telling her, you know, I like what she has to say about these subjects. Mm-hmm. But then on this subject, I completely disagree with her. And it's very easy um, in the Christian world for us to just throw the person out. Yep. To just be like, I don't agree with what they say on this topic, so therefore, no good. Mm-hmm. And um, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm just trying to really wrestle with because um, it's, it's interesting. I'm re- I've been reading another book called Mama Bear Apologetics, mm-hmm. okay? And so it's, it's, it's basically kind of giving moms... Um, or dads, tools for how to talk with their their children through things in culture, through things in scripture, and one of the the um, the things that I love that they talk about doing with our kids, and that I think just we as in general as Christians need to do is is a uh, technique they call chew and spit. Mm. And so basically that whatever it is that you're intaking, whether it's what you're reading or what you're watching or what you're listening to, to be able to have the ability to chew on it, think about it, let it marinate. Ooh, I keep hitting that mic. <laughs> marinate a little bit. And then to spit out whatever is not good. Yeah. And just to be like, okay, I don't need that. But that part was good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and to be able to have the critical thinking skills yes. and the patience and the wherewithal to know that all humans are fallible, mm-hmm. every single one. Yeah. So even the ones that were like, oh, everything they say is good, like every human is fallible. Yeah. But to be able to use that, um, that filter from scripture and just to be able to say, okay, that, okay, that does not line up with scripture. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to pay attention yeah. to that. But, 
okay, this this part is good. Mm-hmm. And to be able to say, this actually lines up with scripture. And to be able to have the ability to do that without seeming like you are a bad person, mm-hmm. you know, and also, you know, being able to read and um, read things that you don't agree with. Yeah. Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, to be able to do that, to be able to like um, kind of have a better understanding yes. of the world around you. If you only ever engage with, <clears throat> read, watch, listen to, talk with people yeah. who are exactly like you, who look like you, think like you, were brought up like you, all yeah. these things, you are, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. Like you're yeah. going to end up being probably um, really standoffish. You're going to end up having this holier than thou yeah. complex. You're going to end up really only being able to co- to think of, and process in one it's way. It's like a, living in an echo chamber. Yeah. And how yeah. boring is that? And so <laughs> it, it's, it's definitely um, not as interesting and not that you do it and say, Oh, like I know there's some people who are like, well, like, those are, those are different ideas. We don't want to be, you know, mm-hmm. expose that to, but when you're talking to people in the world, like, which is the point, <laughs> which is the point, like we are to be, you know, disciples of Christ going out into the world um, and spreading the gospel, you have to understand different people. Mm -hmm. You have to understand people with different worldviews than you have. You have to understand where they're coming from. You have to understand their hearts, like the deeper issue. Like what is the deeper issue behind that hurt or what is the deeper issue behind that sadness or that, that clinging to that? Like to be able to understand that you have to be able to to see where it's coming yeah. from. So anyway, that was a total tangent. No, that's but. great. And so, I, I mean, for sure. So don't don't live in an echo chamber. It gets really boring. <laughs> that's that's the takeaway there. I mean, and if you love the sound of your own yeah. voice, then maybe we have a bigger problem as well. So and cling to scripture. Cling to scripture. Cling to scripture. And, <laughs> but also remember that when you come to scripture, you come with your own lens. So, right. which is again, to, to the point, read people who are from different traditions than you, who yeah. are from different backgrounds in the faith than you are. Mm-hmm. Um, learn from their lens of how they approach scripture. Yeah. Um, listen to, to pastors in different denominations than you are. Oh my gosh, imagine that. Crazy pants. Um, you know, just yeah. learn how to approach scripture differently <clears throat> um, so that maybe you can learn something fresh and new. So lots of things were talked about in this episode, which is great. <laughs> we covered a lot of ground. It was a exciting. You guys know the routine. Like, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family, tell anyone that you see actually about uh, Between the Creations. I'm so glad that you guys took a minute to listen and we'll be back next week. Bye.